This here is the translation of the Saxos Chronicle, The Deeds of the Danes, that I got as a kind of coming-of-age present from my grandfather when I was a, a young man. It's very visible that this edition is published before the Second World War, because after the Second World War, nobody sane would, in this casual yet central way, use this symbol on the cover of a book. The use of the swastika uh, by Westerners is not possible anymore. Uh, the symbol has been so irrevocably soiled by Nazism that it has in effect been taken away from us. And that uh, taken, taken from us in a very literal sense, we've been deprived from the possibility of using this symbol. And that is why this is a very literal case of what is sometimes called cultural appropriation. A piece of culture is not just used, but used in a way that takes it away from the context that it comes from. And the bad news is that the swastika symbol is not the only case of this cultural appropriation. So this video here is about the importance of resisting the right extremist mining elements of Nordic cultural heritage. My name is Runiane Rasmussen, I'm a historian of religion, uh, and let me just mention that you can Follow my work uh, with Nordic animism as a kind of Eurotech. Sounds a bit like a software company or something, but it really means uh, European traditional ecological knowledge tech. tech. <laughs> the rejected animist knowledge uh, of European tradition. And I'm focusing specifically on Nordic traditional no knowledge under the label Nordic Animism. And you can Patreon support my work with raising awareness and exploring this particular perspective on Nordic history of religions. Yeah, symbols are defined by how we engage them. And this defining is bigger than the individual. It's the result of large-scale social processes, large-scale ascriptions of meaning, and flows of attention. Now, you can't just uh, sit back and decide that you think that this symbol really means something beautiful about cyclicity and good fortune or, I don't know, some nice hippie stuff, uh, because this symbol has been so massively engaged through creation of such immense human suffering that in the Western world it has become, it has been made into a symbol of this human suffering. And uh, that is not something that you can just erase. It's, it, it, and if you think you can erase it, then I invite you to try to wear it on a t-shirt and walk through a Jewish district in New York. Uh, my guess is that you will be taught some very real lessons about how not to overrule the human pain associated with this symbol. And the people teaching you this lesson would be right. This is a loss, of course, for people who wish to engage Nordic traditional knowledge, because the swastika has a lot of other stuff in its history. It's found on fibulae and runestones and bractate amulets and folklore and Icelandic staffs and so on. And uh, it's, it's also, by the way, used in specific Asian religious contexts. So if it hadn't been for Hitler's appropriation of the symbol, then we would surely be able to explore and reinvent the symbol into our age like people indeed uh, were doing before the Second World War. Uh, but that's not possible anymore. This symbol has been taken. Uh, but that this symbol is not the only part of Nordic heritage that is subject to uh, this cultural exploitation by racists and white supremacists. Um, that's a problem that reaches much further. This is a school photo of me 
when I was not about nine years, ten years old or something, cute, huh? <laughs> um, I was always uh, fascinated by our heathen past whose tales I got from my grandmother. And uh, you'll notice me carrying the, the symbol there, the, the, uh, the hammer. Uh, you can probably imagine how I feel about seeing exactly the symbol used by right extremists from the other side of the planet uh, who are being projected all over international me media. Uh, for instance, here marching in Charlottesville uh, using the same symbol, the Hammer of Thor. Um, yeah, it doesn't feel nice. However, I'll just make one, one really important disclaimer here, and that is that from one perspective, perspective, though this doesn't hurt, then we shouldn't whine too much about it, because the real problem about history is not that Hitler used a symbol that we might have enjoyed using. <laughs> the real, real problem is what he did to the world. And in a similar vein, the real problem is not that contemporary white supremacists take Nordic symbols. The problem, the real problem, is white supremacy. And those multiple ways that chauvinist systems are being allowed to persist, uh, not only among uh, actual racists, but also inside these cultural blind angles that uphold specific privileges and so forth, so forth. which by the way is a great um, achievement of uh, North American uh, identity politics to make up aware of, of this. You know, we can also sometimes be annoyed with the super pious woke Americans who are imposing their specifically Ameri American categories on everybody and his dog. You know, but it's important to remember that it's a really important achievement uh, uh, that they gave us uh, us all these these uh, awarenesses of uh, chauvinisms and blind angles, basically. So yeah, uh, it does feel unfair that we have to deal with it. But let me just take another example of unfair when it comes to wearing religious symbol and symbols. And that is wearing this religious symbol, which has basically been outlawed in Denmark. Yeah, you heard right. A blatant abuse of freedom of religion. Uh, and in order to make sure that this is a targeted, legislated Islamophobia, they put a little clause in the, in the law that accept, accepts praiseworthy facial masking from this ban, such as, for instance, the national costume of the Danish island of Fanø. So the niqab of this woman here is deemed praiseworthy, where the niqab of this woman here is so reprehensible to the Danish state that uh, when a police moment in a moment of compassion, gave a hug to this demonstrator who was crying because her religion was being banned in public space, then this policewoman was subjected to public investigation for having politicized because that she showed uh, this compassion and gave a hug to a crying woman. Now that level of cruel chauvinist hypocrisy, that is what really unfair look like, looks like. <laughs> so when I'm addressing this problem, it's not primarily because I want to run a self-pitying opera about how cultural heritage that I identify towards is being mined by incredibly big assholes. The purpose is, I think, that resisting this cultural exploitation is in itself an attack on the legitimacy of white supremacy. Uh, it, it, it is a way of undermining this political project by reclaiming and owning Euro-descendant cultural elements away from being defined by these inane brands of bigotry that tend to claim, encapsulate, and marginalize Nordic symbols into these spaces of dumb shit-kicker white nationalism, right? And I will not go through many different symbols and their different backgrounds and so on, how they're being re-engaged. I'll just mention a cobble for you to get a little bit of the, the flavor. This here is the 
Schwarze Sonne or Sonnenrat is uh, the black sun. It is an unambiguously Nazi symbol. It is based on these prehistoric Alemannic, uh, Germanic people, um, ornamental discs, sometimes called Seerscheibe. Uh, but this particular version of the design was, uh, comes from Heinrich Himmler, uh, who in his Wervelsburg castle, uh, he, he and those SS dudes, they were doing some sort of LARPing style boyish occultism of sorts when they were not planning uh, new concentration camps. Um, this here is the Odal rune, and when it has the upturned legs, uh, it is also a specifically Nazi symbol of the Blut und Boden ideology, uh, earth and blood. This here is the Algis Lebensrune, um, and where the flip the Nazis got the idea that this rune particularly has to do with life, I'm not sure. Um, uh, and then there are some symbols that are sort of under thread or sort of in a gray zone of becoming Nazified. Uh, for instance, the Eminsul. Uh, here, which is a funny case because it's really a representation of a biblical palm tree that, according to Christian le legend, bend to Jesus. And it is represented on uh, medieval rock reliefs in Eckstenstein in Germany. But interestingly, this, this bending palm tree was uh, interpreted by a national socialist, actually called Soit, uh, as a symbol of the Irminsul, the world uh, the world pillar that was broken by Charlemagne on one of his crusades against the heathen Saxons. Um, and this essentially Christian symbol has then been adopted by uh, contemporary also true, and you see uh, people using it as a symbol of uh, Germanic paganism. Um, then there's this symbol here, which is, a, I think, a beautiful and powerful symbol from the Snarlelev runestone, which has been made into a logo by some American racist-focused organization. And yeah, the, the Snarlelev stone is, is located about 40 minutes drive from here where I'm standing right now. So uh, this is a case where I sort of feel the pain of this appropriation because the meanings uh, in, in the symbol are, are, I think, really deep and beautiful, actually. But according to these nitwits who made the symbol into their logo, these interlocking horns symbolize uh, the camaraderie or racial consciousness of warriors who are drinking together in the meat hall or something like this. And, and notice the, the boyishness of this folkish interpretation. It's a kind of a King Arthur boy novel worldview that is filled with adventurous Vikings and noble warriors and noble warrior virtues and noble warrior camaraderie and swords and shields and shield walls and shield maidens with flowy locks and intricate braids and shields on their silicone boobies and stuff like that. You know, in reality, this symbol is probably a mark of a kind of Udinic initiation because the Snarlelev stone commemorates a man with the title Thul and there are reasons to believe that this means kind of a speaker, likely a kind of priest of Odin, uh, and therefore the three horns might symbolize the Odinic quest into the underworld to sort of seduce the, the three cups with the drink of wisdom from the their underworld guardian, Gunlath, right? But in, <laughs> it's amazing... Uh, is an amazing complex of meaning, right? <laughs> but in the hands of these folkists, this becomes boisterous Vikings cheerfully celebrating their sel themselves and their cathartically identitarian themselves with big beards and horns brimming with beer clanging together. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so stupid. It's so incredibly, incredibly stupid. You know? Yeah. Anyway, these are just a couple of examples of these symbols that are often seen uh, in 
uh, used by right extremist contexts. But there are many others. Uh, and um, yeah, I'll not go into too much detail with the whole history of the fascination that right extremists have had with, with anything Nordic. Uh, but it's a, it's a quite old, old story. It, it has roots in the time when uh, Scandinavians were figuring out some ideologies to support their um, state constructions. Uh, and when monarchies are displaced by uh, democracies, then the democratic states, they sort of need some new things somehow. It is as if this royal body, as the epicenter for the, the belief or the loyalty towards the state, it leaves kind of a vacuum behind. And this vacuum is typically filled with nationalism. Uh, these ideologies that create a sense of we by producing myth, myths of an ideal past. Uh, and and you're all, European states were in the process of doing this in the, uh, through the, the uh, 19th and perhaps even 18th centuries, um, often referring to the Romans, but Romans never really bothered to go to the dark and damned backwards of Northern Europe. So nationalists in Northern Europe, they sort of lacked that background, and then they came up with a new idea that the reason was that Romans never came here was probably that the Scandinavian peasants were so incredibly awesome that or were too incredibly awesome for the Romans, which I think is really funny. Um, and then these different myths of, of origin were sort of explored. Uh, different kinds of hula bula, you know, the, the Swedes had at some point the idea that that Uppsala, uh, the cradle of the Swedish nation, nation in, in mythology, was it was a kind of the sunken Atlantic, Atlantis, you know, and and uh, the Danes at some point believed themselves to be a particular kind of God's chosen people and stuff like that. And I'm not really sure they ever really gave up that idea. Um, and this whole thing, this process coalesced into the image of the Viking. Now the Viking is a 19th century construction of medieval Scandinavians as being Vikings. Uh, in the Middle Ages, the word Viking just meant a pirate, it didn't mean uh, Scandinavian. Uh, and uh, I once saw this amazing little video on History Channel, which tried to dismantle misconceptions about Vikings, but managed to turn it completely upside down. Uh, the woman that they claim uh, to not be Viking is in fact a very precise rendering of exactly what Vikinghood is. It's a kind of sexualized 19th century kitsch imagination, complete with a, a touch of plastic Halloween. It's very authentically Viking. Whereas the woman that they claim to be a Viking is not a Viking at all. She's a medieval Scandinavian with no particular, su particular suggestions of uh, being a pirate. Um, and the, the idea of the Viking came to iconize exactly the kind of hyper-masculine militancy that 19th century nationalism needed. And this was also linked to Christianity, by the way, and the Protestant idea of the state as a kind of church that has its own spirit, its own state holy spirit, its own state holy ghost, a Volksgeist, the spirit of a people. It's, it's actually a Christian, a uh, very Christian construction. So the uh, the Vikings as image of the medieval Scandinavian uh, expansionism came to symbolize not only the industrious explorer and colonizer of the white self-image, but Vikings were also associated with a kind of noble savage romanticism that was uh, to give their extreme violence an aura of being somehow a nature-given thing, almost prescri prescribed by providence. And this was a perfect cocktail. Whiteness, hypermasculinity, legitimately violent colonial exploitation meant that right extremists at a quite early 
early point, totally started getting off on Scandinavian heritage, right? No, German nationalists start, started doing it, you know. Uh, though, of course, we should uh, not forget that Nazism was, in its inception, uh, very much a Protestant project. And the association with Germanic paganism is actually a kind of an overexposed minority thing that just have happened to really hit the fevered minds of contemporary outright losers, right, in their you know, PlayStation overloaded fish brains. Um, but yeah, uh, Hitler was very much a, a, uh, a, Christian, uh, a Christian person. And, um, and later in the 20th century, the religion called Asatu Heathendom was basically founded, or important foundational stones were laid by an actual national socialist, uh, Ilse Christensen, a Danish immigrant to the U.S. And this religion is continuously the target of white supremacists looking for these kind of vulgar fantasy boy novel warrior imagery to spice up their bland lives, whose misfortune they blame on cultural and racial others, you know. Uh, and and it, th- this has a quite significant impact. Uh, today, there's basically right extremists from Mongolia to Brazil who use Nordic heritage to, to create their self-image. Uh, uh, and of course, you have it in Scandinavia, England, US, Russia, France, and, and uh, so on. But this also goes beyond like actual right extremism because it is as if basically everywhere where Vikings set their foot, people are just crazy about Vikings. If Vikings attack the Spanish town, then this town celebrates the occasion every year. If Vikings were involved at some distant point in the millennia-long history of the Russian Empire, then everything is just Vikinged up all over the place, you know. And uh, I'll just redeem History Channel a little bit here and mention another little video sketch they, they, of theirs that really had it spot on, I think. This man discovers that in some marginal co- uh, corner of his genome, there's something that can be identified as Viking. And voila! <laughs> this iconic identification of the Euro descendant is just instantaneously goes and hijacks the flip out of the poor man's brain. It's like... <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> um, yeah. But and part of my motivation for thinking Nordic history from the animist perspective is actually to move the, the perspective away from this really stifling, problematic, and frankly quite ridiculous Viking imagery. Uh, a good friend of mine put it in a very poignant, poignant way. He said this Viking costume is just like wearing a banana skirt, you know, uh, be, because even the religious expressions that we have that associate, that are associated somehow with the period sometimes labeled the Viking Age, they're not inherently Viking somehow. It's as if you wanted to identify Christianity with a specific figure from that, the period when it emerged, like being a Roman soldier or something. Uh, uh, the Viking is a very specific social type from that period uh, that the Eras and the Sagas uh, refer to. It is an important social type type, a super important social type, not the least because Christianizing Scandinavia was probably one of the main achievements of the Vikings. Um, so, um, yeah. So this cultural exploitation of uh, Nordic symbols and the, and the Viking is very intense and is partly driven, I think, by the fact that, that uh, producers of culture uh, has had a little bit of a tendency to just ride with it. Uh, They basically seem to go, well, I'm not racist myself, so what do I care that my construction of Vikings supply narratives for racist self-imagery? 
Uh, and then you have this imagery that poses these Vikings as these like two meter tall uh, underwear models with very intricate hairstyles, clearly and very literally superior to the people they interact with. Now, I, I don't think that the Vikings TV series is in any way intentionally racist, but I think it subcommunicates the idea of superiority in the ideal human as the Viking. And this has certainly been received as a kind of essential whiteness all over the world. So I think it's it's a really a problem that people who produce uh, th this kind of stuff, that they aren't just a little bit more aware of what they're doing um, when, they're, when they're handling this, this Viking imagery. Because here's a shit, you know. Elements of Nordic history religions is intensely under attack from racists, xenophobes, Islamophobes, cultural nationalists, and so on. They're looking for to culturally exploit this material for bigoted agendas. This attack is not something you can just close your eye, eyes to. It's too intense. It's like with the swastika that I mentioned before. You know, when things are politicized to a certain extent, you cannot just be neutral about them. It's a little bit like imagine someone claiming to be sort of neutral to the question of whether the extermination of Jews during the Second World War actually took place. There's some right extremists who believe it didn't take place, right? It's not a question to which there is a neutral position. You can't say, I'm sort of neutral about whether it happened or not, because this is in itself a really extreme claim. And this is the same. There's no neutrality really available when it comes to Nordic culture and right extremism. There are only two possible persistent positions, resistance and complicity. And this is not nice. It doesn't feel fair. In fact, it's really cumbersome. But you just have to say it loudly and unambiguously and repeatedly that you denounce all these kind of bigotry that people come up with. That, that's what I'm trying to do. And even then, I still wish that I had some student help who just just weed out Nazis from my page. Um, but happily, over the last couple of years, I think there's, it has little by little, it has dawned on most of the cultural life that produced culture with relation, relation to Nordic history or religion, that, uh, that this is a, a quite a big problem. Um, they, as I said, there used to be this little bit of a tendency to make this, I think, kind of cowardly claim to neutrality under the pretense of not being political as some sort of kind of self-image. And people would say, like, I'm not against other cultures, only proud of my own. And that's sort of cool if you look at it in a very isolated way. But unfortunately, this is almost exactly what contemporary right extremists are saying. We're not political. We're not against Muslims as long as they stay somewhere far away. We're just defending our own culture or race or whatever. The, so just sticking to that isolated little statement, you're just creating a comfortable little alibi to sell whatever it is you're selling also to right extremists. It's not enough to say that you respect all cultures. You have to actively say no to uh, racism and bigotry. And uh, fortunately, uh, most people are waking up to this uh, uncomfortable fact that uh, much, much more than they thought of their production is being con consumed and used by uh, right extremists to bolster their political projects and building their sense of self and so on. Uh, and uh, that's the way the world works. If you are sending something into the world, then you don't have control over it. Uh, it can very easily be turned into something completely different that, that you didn't want. And I think it's a childish misconception, for instance, uh, that there is a power or an essence in your art or whatever it is you're doing that will touch people at their essence and change them away from, for instance, being racist. You know, there might be a power in your art. Yeah, cool. 
It might also touch people, yeah, probably. But where it pulls people and what they use it for, you have very, very limited influence over that. So little by little, people are starting to resist this more clearly. And yes, it doesn't feel it feel fair. It feels rather unfair that you know uh, someone is trying to make this symbol that I was wearing as a little boy into a fascist one. I still have it. It's a reproduction of a Mjolnir found found on the island of uh, island of Bornholm. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not happy that I have to insist on this and fight this battle all the time. And I do whine a little bit about it and practice a little bit of self-pity. I'll admit it. Uh, perhaps some of my self-pity is even a little bit legitimate. Um, but as mentioned, I don't you know, whine too much because the real problem is not that they're taking this, but what they're doing with it to other people who are targeted by these ideologies. And as I said, you know, this is also why we can and we must face up to this, because uh, it is an important part of, of uh, I think, the struggle uh, of Eurodescendants against racism, that working with this, uh, these symbols is in, itself, is, in a sense, an attack on racist whiteness itself. You know, whiteness is something that has been imposed on us. We're the beneficiaries from it, yeah, but it's, it's, it's something that has been invented and slammed onto our heads, you know. Uh, and the right attitude, I believe, is to assume it as a matter of responsibility, but to resist it and strive to deconstruct it as a matter of cultural struggle for uh, equal rights and opportunities, no matter who you are. Uh, so stand up vocally against racism, sexism and bigotry if you produce Nordic culture. This channel here, for instance, is a kind of a teaching room with reflections that I'm sort of inviting you to participate in. But if you're a racist, an anti-Semite, Islamophobe, etc., well, then you're not invited. Uh, I think we should follow the lead of the American linguist Jackson Crawford, who lined this up very clearly uh, for his own quite impressive resource library on YouTube. He said, you're welcome on this channel, except if you want to make other people feel unwelcome. Uh, yeah, so I'll just end with the motto of my friend, uh, an American uh, who's actually also a linguist, uh, Kevin French, who uh, constructed this in Old Norse, the motto, Thesi hammer milvir fascista. This hammer smashes fascists. Thank you very much.